Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. In this episode, we are going to talk to Megan Mitz. Her professional experience as a registered art therapist includes providing social-emotional learning and resilience-based strategies for students, families, and individuals of all ages in a multitude of settings, including residential facilities, community centers, schools, and online. In recent years, Megan noticed a need for more affordable, accessible, and adaptable ways to support a spectrum of needs and abilities to promote autonomy, validation, and emotional well-being. Megan developed Art from Anxiety, LLC, to share low-risk, high-reward therapeutic art activities with the artist's success in mind, while focusing on the values necessary for recovery, self-healing, and maintenance, such as resourcefulness, perspective, awareness, acceptance, boundaries, and mindfulness. Okay, I love this interview because selfishly, my podcast is really about talking to people that I admire and I aspire to take a fingerprint of their experience and incorporate into my own life. Megan is one of them. We talked about her start into art therapy and her value system that is anchoring her goals, such as providing accessibility and eliminating disparities and lowering the barriers to get some therapeutic art in your life. Then we talked about highlighting her need for measuring a different kind of success in her life. And finally, my favorite is how she activates her own emotional energy and takes care of processing her emotional embodiment. That's the AHA method, A-H-A. And Megan displays it well. And this is going to help promote these anti-burnout pro-creative flow practices. So listen in to this golden nugget of an interview with Megan Mitz. Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. Today, I'm so excited to interview Megan Mitz. Okay, this is the power of social media is, you know, the algorithm can work in your favor. And it's almost like the updated personality quiz system, where as you're seeing your For You page or your Instagram pages, you're starting to see content that you pause and you look at and you might, you know, hover over this content. And well, Megan's content kept coming up for me and I saved so many of her little tutorials. She is the wizard behind the art from anxiety. And what I love is she has these easily digestible nuggets in her social media feed that helps people just play and have fun with art and express their emotions in, in a different way. And It spoke to me because as a physician that has gone through burnout, and now I'm helping others create their own anti-burnout practices and streamline their methods and their businesses, I want more creativity. This is flow. This helps us play how we're meant to play as kids. And so without further ado, I'm just going to say thank you, Megan, for coming on the show. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Yes, I'm excited. So why don't you tell me a little bit more about like what was a moment where you decided to get more visible on social media and really push forward that agenda of giving more accessibility to art therapy. 
It started on Instagram kind of through my art therapy education. I was recognizing a lot of these things that I was doing um, and learning about through my education were helping me (laughs) in a lot of ways. And it started with me sharing those things on Instagram. And then during the pandemic, I ended up joining TikTok and it kind of transitioned more into this well, how can I make these things more available and accessible to other people, especially in a time when we just lost a lot of accessibility to two things and really needed to these alternative ways to help ourselves feel better wherever we were. So I just decided to start sharing more things on TikTok and that kind of that shift in focus towards, um, you know, how can other people do this too? Oh, I love this. That's, that's the true teacher, right? You see one, do one, teach one, and you're so colorful to watch and just watching how you promote this and letting people experiment and explore. Um, It sounds like one of your core values is accessibility. You want to educate, you want to provide the service for as many people as possible. Tell me more how that's influenced some of the decisions you've made for your business. I mean, I was a child who had a lot of, um, emotional needs. And I didn't have ways to express those things in a supportive way. And through, you know, my professional experience becoming an art therapist and working in schools, I recognize that like, that's something a lot of people need. And I want to be able to help people and seeing that they have all these values and they have all these things that are available to them and these resources that we could be utilizing more and in different ways um, to to cope better. And uh, and also through the professional experience, I kind of got exhausted in seeing people perpetually in crisis just to a point where they were well enough and then sent on their way just to see them return. That didn't seem fair because they they obviously weren't getting the support that they needed to maintain outside of these resources that they had when they were in crisis. So how can I support people in kind of that reintegration into life outside of treatment, as well as recovery support, you know, you are doing better and you liked some of the things that you did in residential facilities, but where can you get those now? Where are they? Oh, that's beautiful. Very insightful. You know, I feel like just maybe it's the way our American healthcare system is. And mm-hmm. as my sister's a, a a doctorate of psychology, so you know she's in mental health. She we we understand the unfortunate way that our system operates is not ideal. And and now we're blowing it open, which is awesome because you're seeing that it's not like a switch, like it's off and on. You're not going to get your healing from a pill or a supplement or, you know, one certain therapy modality. It's not like only CBT works or, you know, there's all these different things to pull from. And what you've highlighted is a unique need to provide this maintenance toolbox, right? Because Mm -hmm. people will get this almost a little bit of a dopamine rush when you're, when you're feeling better and you're all good, right? And then Mm -hmm. you're graduated and there you go off into the world. Well, things happen. Things go sideways. 
things shift again. And what you're saying is, Hey, I've got you. There's other tools that you can use that don't require waiting three months to get into your psychiatrist again. And again, mm-hmm. again, if you're listening, this is not a replacement for excellent medical care and mental care. You absolutely need that. But we also need tools. You know, we need all the mm-hmm. colors in the cram box. We need to, to find other things that help us. And I love that you're saying, okay, I, I'm going to explain what you can do. So if you could pick <laughs> one tool that you could use to help somebody as they're sliding, maybe closer to a crisis, not quite there yet. What would you say would be a tool or a tip or an exercise that you like to pull from the archives that works? In that situation, my uh, favorite go-to is what I refer to as mega grounding. And it's following three simple steps and it is a verbal recall. Um, So it's naming an animal, which most people are able to do naming an action, which most people are able to do, and naming a place. That could be a capital letter place. That could be a general place like the backyard. But giving people simple steps in those moments gives them a chance to just think about what what is an animal? What is an action? What is a place? Following those steps and then putting it all together because it can end up being pretty random. And in that instance, it can be relatively silly to think about. And all of a sudden you're kind of like, oh, I, f- I got, uh, yeah, I forgot. I was like for a second, yes. all wrapped up in those emotions. It's a reprieve. I love that you're challenging them to get out of that limbic spiral of overwhelm mm-hmm. and just actually use that logical part of your brain of, okay, so there's a caterpillar dancing in Egypt. Like, oh, okay, you know, it's yes. silly, but it's like, okay, you know, and, and these little tools of using our brain in different ways is what can be so helpful in the moment. Mm-hmm. I also yes. like that you call it mega grounding. It's like, so um, it's so sexy, you know, it's just like really <laughs> compelling. I want to be mega grounded, you know, and, and you mentioned earlier, you know, just kind of a common path that a lot of us go down when it comes to our businesses is self-help, right? we're really doing what we needed or what we would have liked. Um, And we're living a life that we hope we can share with others based on lessons that we've learned, you know, and it's no, it's no shock that most people that go into mental health have reason to go into mental health and same with doctors. I mean, we want to, you know, help other people be better than what we had. So I just love that you're using these modalities and what would, what would be the one way? So you've, you've mentioned your anchoring, your anchoring values of, you know, education, of accessibility, of, providing value, you know, and, and I guess transportability of your, of your ideas and your methods for people. The next step would be highlighting, where do you find that you measure success? Has that been redefined over the years for you? How do you define success? That's been a real big struggle for me. Absolutely. I, I know what I'm doing with my life. I know these are hard decisions to have made. They're hard decisions to have continually acted on. It's not as profitable as I wish it was. And a lot of times to me, that is the measure of success. And because I'm not as successful in that way, maybe I'm not a success, but I really have to challenge that. What is success? I have, I've paved my own way and that really was what I wanted to do. And I'm happier because of it. And it might not look like what everyone else did, but that's also what I wanted. I didn't want to look like what everyone else was doing. Yes. So love this, love this. This is excellent, <laughs> Megan. And you're right. You're echoing a lot of 
a lot of people's journey in as we're innovating healthcare and trying to expand mental health services and provide different things. It's different. It's like walking in snow that's never been walked in before. You know, I mean, nobody's done this. So you're doing it in your own way. And that's part of those values is you wanted that autonomy. You wanted that choice and that authority to do what you want. And so measuring success is going to be different. You know, I, I had the same experience when I decided to resign from a traditional employed position and open up my own practice. I couldn't measure success based on how many patients a day I saw. I wasn't going to see 25 a day like I did before. Thank goodness. And so <laughs> my, my measurement was less, but my happiness, I mean, the overall equation of success didn't include just money. It was happiness, time. Am I doing things and expressing gifts and skills I couldn't in my other job? And you're using things to all the modalities. Um, and so what would be a goal maybe? Do you have any like pointed direction you hope that art from anxiety goes in the next five to 10 years? I would like to continue helping people in one-to-one, people who probably wouldn't have access to all of the things that other people have or maybe need something temporarily. That's, to me, going to be something that I don't want to ever compromise on, no matter my level of financial success, um, because I'm here to help people who don't, again, don't have access to things that most people with, you know, financial success do have access to, I guess. And I want to continue building my Patreon because I'm sharing therapeutic considerations on there as far as materials and processes, as well as some of the breakdowns of um, how-tos, extensive, more extensive how-tos for the person who prefers have prefers to have a lot more of uh, instruction or guidance, visual representation, maybe the time to be able to watch those as opposed to the very quick snippets that you see on social media. And that one is also a very accessible option as well for the person who maybe isn't in a position or doesn't want to do one-to-ones or the online face-to-face type things. Uh, That's more of a self-guided thing and, and a support for however you want to use art from anxiety. Before we went on air, you shared with me this really unique way to increase accessibility to your one-on-one services. And I would love for you to just kind of walk me through, let's start with first, what would people expect from a one-on-one experience with you? Cause I'm curious, you know, um, because I have worries about things like, okay, who shouldn't have art therapy? What, what is, you know, cause there's a difference between therapeutic art and then art therapy, right? Um, I do therapeutic art. When I do little workshops, I am not an art therapist. You're trained in art therapy, which is completely different. And so I think that's a great place to start. If you don't mind, um, let's start about who is a good person or a good fit to try art therapy and who might need to be a little more aware of what they're getting into. So someone who would be would be benefited from going to art therapy is someone who wants a continued relationship, who is going to go through the process of, you know, being vulnerable with that person because you are expressing a lot of history um, or the history that's important to the circumstances um, that can bring up unresolved trauma and in an art therapy setting, a clinical setting with an art therapist. They can support you through that in a safe way through the processes and materials that they present, as well as making sure that there's closure with that. Um, Whereas what I'm offering through therapeutic art is more of things that are safe that you can do on your own and even safe for you to share with people that you do care for. Um, 
So insight into the processes and materials that, you know, you feel like you're drawn to a lot of the times, how you can push it a little bit further and particularly sharing the insights as far as what those processes and materials are. So you feel empowered to actually utilize those more. And over time, you start kind of putting all the pieces together in your own way. And that to me is ultimately the goal is just to help people make art and feel better. Yes, right. It sounds simple, but we get in our own way, right? We tend to be like, oh, I'm not good or I don't know. And I love that you're just inviting people to grab something nearby. What are you drawn to? Do you want to paint? Do you want to color with crayons, markers, whatever? Because inherently that is what is going to help break through that bottleneck. So you're inviting them into this one-on-one experience to say, let's make some art. Let's have some therapeutic art. Let's be safe. Let's just have fun. And then you have this little innovative way that you've allowed an increased exposure and more accessibility. Can you share that method? Yes. I, I do allow people to share their link, um, for the creative coping online or, um, the other offerings as far as the one-to-ones you can share your link with up to two people. Um, at no additional cost. So you can cost share or, you know, you could give someone else a gift of creating self-care together and just share that time making self-care together. Oh, that's wonderful. I can, I can see that being a wonderful golden girls, you know, like I would love (laughs) to get my besties together and say, okay, for girls night, we are going to do some art together. You know, we're all going to show up. We're all going to play and we're going to have a knowledgeable guide, a sage wise person tell us, Hey, let's do something. Now, do they all have to do the same project? This isn't like a paint and sip. Like we're going to draw a bridge here. I mean, you're actually, each person's doing something different, I think. Depending on the materials that people bring and what their need is, I'll come up with one, possibly two options for them of how they would like to spend the time. I like to give people as many choices as possible. And I always want to make sure that you feel like you're in control. So after the presentation, which is usually the first couple of minutes, I kind of give an idea of what the therapeutic art um, activity will be. And those people spend the majority of the time um, making art and I'll play music. They can have conversation. They can join in the conversation. They can just enjoy the music and make art and, you know, vibe. And then at the end, we kind of just share our art, which is also optional. And I kind of highlight some of the values I recognize them using throughout that process, uh, insights into some of the things that they did do, whether that is something that they're aware of or not. And oftentimes the person says, you know, I'm surprised I feel better. <laughs> it is, it's almost like a, it's almost like reading your horoscope. I mean, to be in front of an art therapist is like fun, but also scary. My, when my sister was learning about art therapy and in, in her training, it's like, don't, don't draw anything for Auntie Katie. She's going to know everything about our family um, because it's true. You can see these commonalities of patterns in human behavior and how that's expressed in art. And the neat thing is you're not doing this to judge. You're doing this in an optional, very supportive way. Would you like to know more about what your art is telling me? But you're also giving them back this empowerment of, oh, I can access these nonverbal areas of my memories or my, mm-hmm. my emotions and express them in a healthy way and then feel better at the outcome. So I, I really think that's really nice that you that you share that and you you welcome people into a space to create together and and mu- mutually benefit each other, which is fantastic. So describe. Do you have one little catalyst 
teeny moment of immense impact. So the the podcast is called Catalyst because I really truly think that you know as each of us affect other people, there can be tiny little things that we may not be aware that we do or that we've learned from that can completely shift the trajectory of our life or have impact. So what would be one tiny little catalyst moment for you? A tiny, very tiny catalyst moment for me would be after seeing a documentary, uh, an underwater documentary. And I felt this strange um, connection to a segment on the pygmy seahorse. And it, in the moment, I was very sad because I felt invisible um, and very small and like I wasn't occupying very much space um, in my life and that people wouldn't wouldn't or don't recognize me. I could very easily get lost in the waves. And I also struggled with rumination and just an obscene amount of intrusive thoughts, intrusive thoughts. So I took a canvas. I covered the canvas with my intrusive thoughts, which took about five minutes to cover the whole thing and externalize them in that moment. And that was soul crushing to see all the things that I was saying to myself on a regular basis outside of me, because I would never, ever say those things to someone I cared about. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then I drew the pygmy seahorse kind of blended into those words. Um, I covered the space, the words themselves with a series of acrylic paint so that they blended, but they didn't, they could still kind of show through a little bit. And then I redefined the pygmy seahorse at the end. And I felt a shift in my feelings about this archetype, um, this thing that I felt connected to in a way. And I am a background person. I am a behind the scenes person. That is kind of my strength. That's, you know, as a therapist in this field, it's not about me when people say, oh, you helped me so much. It's, I didn't do the hard work you did. Bingo, right. And I love being that person, but at the same time, there are certainly cons to it. And this catalyst art activity kind of helped me shift from feeling so defeated and bad about those things, about who I am and why I am this way, to saying this is this is who I am. And these are, you know, but these are the things I can accept about it. And these are the things that are going to be struggles. And these are the things that I are my strengths. And that's what I would prefer to be too. And that also helped me in the process of separating myself from my intrusive thoughts. So that was probably, I don't know, well over 10 years ago. And it's kind of wild to think that like, I don't have those conversations with myself anymore. That's amazing. And you know, what you've described is it's almost too good to be true because, you know, (laughs) we think like, oh, come on, you know, just writing your thoughts on a page. And I can't tell you how many doctors I've talked to. And I am a recovering type A perfectionist, like overachiever, right? You know, just always working productive, you know, but I'm learning as we all are to just look at all the other ways to rest and to invite more play. 
And one of the most powerful things is morning pages, a la Julia Cameron from The Artist's Way. She talks about just doing a brain dump every morning. My morning pages are more more like evening pages. I just don't really (laughs) wake up that much. So evening, I just dump it. And you're right. Externalizing those thoughts can be powerful. Even if you're Mm -hmm. never going to read them again, it's not a gratitude journal. It's just getting it out like your brain clutter. It's like Marie Kondo, like sparking joy and cleaning up that brain. And then painting over it or incorporating colors and redefining yourself amongst Mm -hmm. all of that as an imperfect, but perfectly imperfect human is so healing. And this is exactly what therapeutic art can do. And mostly I think, like you had said earlier, you know, you don't have to be good. You don't, you know, art is not just for somebody to, you know, express their artist's you know, skills, most of the art that I, I make, or I call it meaningful art. It's not, I can't make art that looks traditionally like, you know, Renaissance or realism. I mean, that's not what art therapy is. It's about, like you said, expressing your own emotions in a visual way Mm -hmm. and it can make you feel better. This is fantastic. I wish we had, I wish we had one Megan on the block of everybody, (laughs) you know, so we could just have a party at your house every week, just kind of go through some art. Um, Okay. One last thing. So in my burnout work, I have a three-step framework that I encourage people to kind of think, and it helps keep them out of burnout. Since burnout is depersonalization and low perceived achievement and emotional exhaustion, the reverse of that is anchoring your personal values into what you do and highlighting where you see improvement, like redefining your success in different ways. And the last is activating your somatic energy. um, So you're not running on fumes. You're not emotionally exhausted. So my last question to you is, how do you activate your own energy when you're feeling low? Do you have any little activation exercises you do to change your state? It really depends on my emotional needs. So if I feel like I am more emotionally overwhelmed, I will go with high control materials like my rigid materials because they will help me feel more in control. The things that are in my head are more likely to end up on the page and I'm not going to get as frustrated about it. I'm also going to keep every time I'm going to keep my canvas small, because that's also going to limit the potential of overwhelm or even putting painter's tape down and giving yourself multiple boundaries on the same page. That's like a really great way to decrease, you know, getting triggered by the size of the page and feeling unsuccessful on that all just before even starting because it's too overwhelming to do so. And usually what I'll do is probably a scribble and then fill that with um, patterns of some sort um, or even color it in. That's one of my favorite goes-tos for when I need to feel more in control. And then if I want to express some emotions that might be lingering or need a little bit more attention, I will more than likely use watercolors, but I'll also use them in a really controlled way because watercolors are difficult to control much like our emotions. So there's a high potential of becoming overwhelmed by using this material that's difficult to control. So I like making mandalas. So just a couple ink-based circles on a page, which promotes balance, limiting my colors. So maybe whatever I feel drawn to in that moment, also not judging that, and just picking two or three colors to mix in those circles on the page. And then the last one, whenever I am experiencing more towards grief, I will do reparative reconstructive type stuff. And usually that's collage. I always like turning trash into treasure. It 
it supports what grief is, um, shifting from, you know, I can't believe I've, I've experienced this to, these are the things that I can do with this. These are the things that were good about that situation. These are the things that I'm glad to be rid, rid of. And look at what I've able, I've been able to do with my hands too, because you, that one's a little bit more technical putting pieces together and not as much about what am I putting on the page? You can use other things that are already provided and constrain them or change them in that way. Oh, this is so fun. I feel like I could talk about this segment alone for like two more hours because (laughs) I'm reflecting as you're talking about, again, I am not a trained therapist. I just dabble in therapeutic art. I love watching people like you. And I have books right here that I read, you know, just on different art therapy exercises that I do. I display some of my verbal and visual vomit on the walls here in my office. (laughs) But I'm laughing because I'm thinking, oh, that explains a lot of things. Because as you're saying, like uh, you went and said, yeah, if I'm feeling like I'm overwhelmed and I need control, I I choose a smaller canvas. I have really controlled materials. I'm imagining like markers or or crayons or something that's very Mm -hmm. rigid, right? And and painter's tape. And then I'm thinking, interesting, you know. And when you said it's really overwhelming to have like watercolor because you can't control it, I'm like, oh, and that's my least favorite medium. And so I'm like, okay, that's unlocking a lot in my brain right now. And also explains why when I go and take things into workshops and we do very, very light level, nothing deep, but I have, you know, um, doctors take, you know, markers. Sometimes I have watercolors and I just tell them to, you know, scribble or color, but the overwhelm for having watercolors is like, you can Mm -hmm. measure the pulse in the room. And so that's making me think, Ooh, no wonder, because that is uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. Um, The way around that obviously is to like outline, do like spill art, which is usually what I do is like, just spill stuff. And then let's outline, you know, make it pretty, get the control back. Um, But like, it's so fascinating that you have this like toolbox of different emotions and how you would express that. And I love the grief. Oh my gosh. That's my favorite. (laughs) That is like chef's kiss because burnout is grief in the brain. Burnout is Mm -hmm. grieving where you thought you would be, but you're Mm -hmm. not. And so there's this weird dichotomy of, wait, this is not what I had thought much like losing a loved one. You didn't think they would be gone. And now you're like, wait, this is not what I, or pandemic, you know, and, and life before, and this is all grief. And you're showing the whole trash to treasure analogy that you take these things using your creativity, putting them together and seeing the good and the bad and the loss, but all of it. And I love this. This is so fantastic. A lot of people think that grief is is something that you only experience when you do lose someone. But a lot of times it is a change in your role. It's a change in someone else's role. And and like you said, it, it is really... I thought I was going to be someplace else. That's such a wonderful way of really like. That's all it is. It's a comparison, right? It's a comparison. Like, oh, I thought I would be married with three kids and now I'm divorced with none. You know, it's, I thought I would be able to start this business and I couldn't because of COVID or whatever it is. It's a comparison of loss and just how you've so eloquently put that in a, you know, very tangential form that we can use. This is so wonderful. So I wish I could talk to you forever, but we have to get going. So in conclusion, Megan, where can people get more of you? People can find more information about some free and low cost uh, resources at artfromanxiety.com, as well as following me on social media. Most platforms, it's art underscore from underscore anxiety. And yeah, I'm around. 
I love it. Please go check her out. We will put all of this information in the show notes and give yourself a treat today. And right now, wherever you are, just pause and see what came up with you. What resonated with you today? What are you excited about? What emotions are you feeling? Maybe you can express them, you know, visually grab a material closest to you, scribble something down, start dumping out those thoughts on paper and let's make some art from it and follow Megan on her social media channels. I promise you will be entertained and inspired. And until next time, keep coloring outside the lines. Thank you for listening and subscribing. I use my aha method in everything I do. Anchor, highlight, activate. It is the retro engineering of the burnout equation. It is how I plan my day, my week, my year. It is how I frame my clinical visits, my patient notes, how I make decisions. And you can have a part of that. If you missed my five-day catalyst symposium, which is a online virtual boot camp, one hour a day for five days, you missed out. It was fantastic. And I'm proud to say, the testimonials were great. Everyone learned, enjoyed. We had honest and authentic communication and great conversations around burnout and how you can use principles of the neuroscience of flow to help yourself develop a flow cadence and use the aha method. We unpacked the method in three steps. And if you're yearning to learn more, I promise there's going to be another one in August. I'm aiming to do these virtual boot camps twice a year. So make sure you sign up on my newsletter list. One way to get on my newsletter list so you don't miss the announcement of the next symposium is to sign up for my time management system. Cultivating flow takes practice and I've developed a three-step system that you can learn from using my aha, ten, my AHA method. It's a flow-infused time management guide. This free downloadable guide will guide you into using the anchor highlight and activate flow channeling method so you can bend time and find more joy in your day. Go to drlarasalier.com forward slash links and we'll put them in the show notes. Have a wonderful day. Keep catalyzing and keep coloring outside the lines.